Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Today, God speaks to us from Galatians 5, verses 22 through 24, and Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, So back in the late 90s, early 2000s, if you remember eBay, formally launched, became a thing, and it kind of changed everything about online shopping, didn't it? I mean, really for the first time, people could buy and sell with confidence various items uh, to people all over the country and even all over the world, and I remember uh, when my wife and I first got married, it was when eBay was first kind of making its big push and becoming very popular, and uh, my wife had started an online business that ended up being pretty successful for the early 2000s. Uh, but I remember in those days when she was running this business uh, and she would buy and sell options or buy and sell things, there were various payment options at the time. And one of those payment options was a money order, which in hindsight seems crazy, but basically the way this would work is that someone would purchase, purchase something from you on your eBay store. Uh, they would then send you through the snail mail uh, a money order Once that money order was received, you would cash it, and only then would you send them whatever they had purchased, right? That whole process could potentially take weeks, but at the time, it was still one of the most amazing things um, because it was new and it was exciting. And what was interesting is because it was so new and amazing and exciting, we were perfectly fine being patient and waiting that extended period of time, if you remember, Not to mention, if you remember at the time, the internet at the time was still very much dial-up, and so it required the extra phone line. And again, we were just fine with being patient and waiting. However, since then, things have really changed, if you haven't noticed. I mean, some who are maybe younger can't even comprehend the kinds of things that I'm talking about, especially in a world where there's Amazon and Prime shipping. I mean, on a whim, I just did it this morning. I can get on my phone, I can order something, and in some cases, have it delivered the same day. And no judgment to anyone else, I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but I get really annoyed now when I'm looking for something, and I find it, and for whatever reason, it's not prime shipping, and it's going to take more than two days, and I get frustrated at the whole idea of it taking five days to arrive. You all know what I'm talking about. Now, generally speaking, as a culture, we have become incredibly impatient as a result of some of these kinds of things. We have continued to curate lives of growing convenience and, if we're honest, continued and growing self-orientation and this need for constant immediacy. In many ways, we are cultivating impatience in our regular rhythms of life, not patience. 
And it isn't just an issue with like the, you know, the dark side of consumerism. We've discipled ourselves out of being patient in nearly every facet of our lives. We are not patient with one another. We are not patient in the way that we learn because so often we lack nuance and proper understanding because we don't want to have to understand a broad knowledge base of things. And so we just, we get impatient with others as a result. For many people, patience is a virtue that they just do not possess, nor are they really that interested in cultivating it. Uh, If you're not with me, then you're just gone and I don't have time for you. Margaret Thatcher famously had said, I'm extraordinarily patient provided I get my way in the end. And I think for many of us, that's how we often feel. But for the Christian, impatience is actually not an option for us. Patience instead is this non-negotiable virtue. But how many of us are actively cultivating that kind of patience in a culture and in a time with growing impatience? Can we even develop a God-honoring, spirit-empowered patience. Well, today we continue our series called The Fruit, which has been a very slow look at Galatians 5, a summer-long look at Galatians 5. And over the last several weeks, we've been taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit. We will continue to do so throughout the remainder of the summer. And today we consider patience, or as our passage says, forbearance. Because what we're going to see is that a growing patience, a growing forbearance in our lives is actually proof that the Spirit of God is at work. And so like all the other aspects of the fruit, though it is a work of the Spirit, it's also something that we must be cultivating in our lives. And so today, with all of that in mind, I want to try and understand patience and how we can be developing rhythms of patience. To do that, let's consider three things. The meaning of patience the command of patience, and then finally the gift of patience. All right, so first, uh, the meaning of patience. So if you look at various Bible translations, you're probably already catching this a little bit, but the Greek word that is uh, translated as patience and in other passages like our other translations like the one that we heard read today, uh, it's translated as forbearance. In other translations, it's translated as long-suffering. There's a variety of different words. And the reason why there's so many different words, it's actually kind of hard to nail down one particular English word that's as robust as this Greek word for patience. Um, In the Septuagint, which uh, is, so essentially the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. Uh, Many years later, it was translated into Greek, and that's called the Septuagint. It is the Old Testament, the Greek uh, Old Testament. The word that is used in Greek uh, is actually a word that literally means long of nose or long of breathing. And the reason why... Since anger and our propensity toward anger is often indicated through rapid or violent breathing, this idea of being long of nose or long breathing meant to be slow to anger, to be calm in some sense, uh, which is why in passages in the Old Testament, like uh, in Exodus 34 and in Psalm 30, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 86, you see this word being translated as slow to anger. In other words, patience or forbearance, or long-suffering, refers to how we interact with, here's the key, how we interact with and treat those who anger us, how we interact with those who drive us crazy, who are intolerable. And it's a refusal to act out in anger and frustration or even retaliation against those who annoy us, anger us, or even oppose us. 
Now, this was an important lesson for the Galatians to whom Paul is writing in Galatians 5 because he's writing to Jews and Gentiles, two groups that had not yet learned how to be in community with one another. I mean, we've said this before, that there was a lot of strife and division amongst these two groups of people in Galatia as a result of heresy that was floating around regarding the nature of salvation. There was cultural superiority that was taking place uh, regarding works of the law, and there were leadership failures uh, that were not handling these divisions well. And in the midst of all of those really severe issues, Paul says, one of the ways, church, that you're going to know that the Spirit is at work in your midst is if you are long of nose, if there is patience and long-suffering with one another. Now, there are many examples, of course, that we could draw on on how exactly this plays out in the church. Now, given that Paul is addressing the church, let me give you some examples of the ways that this has not always played out well in the history of the church, especially for Protestants. We're part of a Protestant tradition as a church. And in general, Protestants historically have been really bad at this idea of being patient or long-suffering because Protestants historically have always had a tendency to have their finger on the eject button. And what I mean by that is Protestants are pretty happy to just break fellowship with one another for a variety of different reasons, right? If one group is frustrating me, I'm going to branch off and create my own group. And we're going to create our own group over here. And if that group decidedly becomes something I don't want to be a part of, then I'll just break off again. And as a result, you know, hundreds of years later, there are thousands of different Protestant denominations, often because there's this inability sometimes to be patient, to long suffer. And we end up splitting off and breaking off. This is one of the main drivers. Now, there's, of course, good reason why some have broken off and branched off and why there are so many. You know, probably the biggest uh, branch off was, of course, during the Reformation, one that was rooted in a desire to recapture the centrality of the scriptures and the nature of salvation. I mean, these were good reasons, but over the course of history, though there have been some good reasons for splits, there have also been numerous really bad reasons for some splits that have taken place. You know, on the valid side, there have been those valid splits that have occurred as a result of you know, groups denying the authority of the Bible or denying the validity of the resurrection, that just becomes untenable and you need to split. Of course, that's happened. But then there's been also invalid ones, like when King Henry uh, wanted the Pope to grant him a divorce, uh, and when the Pope refused, King Henry just decided he would start the Church of England. Maybe not so much of a valid reason to branch off. But over the course of history, this has happened over and over and over again. Now, that's, of course, happening at the big institutional level. But we also know this kind of thing happens at the local level as well within churches. I mean, we see this constantly. There are many instances and many stories where long-suffering with one another was traded for church splits or church hopping. A lack of long-suffering has often led to division and dissension and gossip and strife. Often, sometimes, not even necessarily. These are commonplace issues that so often mark the landscape of the church. And what I've found to be interesting is, though at times there have been really inappropriate um, splits or inappropriate strife that have taken, hap- uh, that have, that's taken place as a result of people not long-suffering, 
I do think it's also necessary to note that there have been times where there has been grave error that has taken place within particular congregations as a result of people having a really wrong understanding of what patience and long-suffering ought to be with one another. And what I mean by that is I have experienced, and I have seen this happen even in my own lifetime, where there has been really grave issues like abuse within congregations or scandal within churches and people assuming that they're being patient with one another will allow those kinds of injustices to pervade a congregation. There have been instances that I've, again, experienced this in my uh, own journey, that when leaders should be removed for immoral or unethical or ungodly behavior, they remain because people assume that they're being patient, that there's this long-suffering. And I just want to say that's not what I'm talking about. Because there are good reasons why tensions sprout up in the midst of congregations. However, though there are times when it becomes untenable and there must be splits, the default mode for the people of God, and this is what Paul is drawing out in Galatians 5, the default mode ought to be a desire to long suffer, to be patient with one another, not ignoring the problems amongst us as though they don't exist. We need to take appropriate action when necessary. But it's important for us to understand that long-suffering across disagreements, across barriers, in a way that is respectful and kind, this is the kind of thing that the Spirit of God does amongst his people as his people are willing to cultivate that kind of patience. Okay, so if that's what patience is, and it should be something that we value and that we see amongst God's people in the church, uh, frankly, I do realize that for many the work that it takes to be patient is just not worth it. It's just too much work. And it can be a lot of work. And the question often comes, like, to what extent am I actually obligated to long suffer, to be long of nose with people? Well, there are two reasons why I think if you're a Christian here today, you are obligated to be patient. And I want to put those two in front of you. The first would be this. The first just acknowledge that patience is a command, and that second, patience is a gift, all right? We need to understand those two reasons for why we pursue it. So first, let me look at the command of patience. Uh, Let's look at Ephesians 4, the other passage that we heard read. Uh, In Ephesians, Paul is writing to another church in Ephesus. Uh, In chapters 1 through 3, if you you remember just how Ephesians goes, Paul has laid out in chapters 1 through 3, all that Jesus has accomplished for those that have trusted in him. So though that section, those first three chapters, house some of the greatest declarations about the gospel message. So in Ephesians 1, we're told that we are chosen, that we've been predestined according uh, to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to his will. Great glorious truths like that. Ephesians 2, we're told that it's for, uh, by faith we have been saved, through faith, not through works, that it's a gift of God. We see that in the second chapter. In chapter three, we're told that through the gospels, the Gentiles are heirs uh, together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus. I mean, these are the great things that we read about in chapters one through three. But then Paul turns to chapter four. And he now tells us in chapter four what we ought to do in response to all the great truths that we hear about in chapters one through three. The whole tenor of the letter begins to shift now to what's called an imperative. After all these statements about what God has done in Christ, now we're told what to do. We are given commands. And what is the very first uh, command 
that Paul gives after three chapters of gospel goodness. He says this. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. Isn't that interesting? That that's the first thing that he commands of people after all these great glorious gospel truths in the first three chapters. Now, for the Christian, to draw this out, humility and gentleness and patience, a patience that lovingly bears with one another, it's a command of God. If there is no other reason to pursue such things, Christian, at least let obedience be one of the reasons. Now, I'll be straight with you. Um, So I've been in vocational ministry, I guess, 17 years now. And in that time, I can think of numerous occasions when the only reason long-suffering occurred for me is because God demanded it of me. I don't know if you've ever been in that position where there, is, there seems like no good reason to do it. It would be so much easier just to hit the eject button on someone. But because God demands it, that's the reason why I engage it. I can think of many times where it would have been so much easier to just cut people out. Do you um, remember that movie, uh, The Rainmaker? There's uh, Matt Damon. He's working with Miss Birdie. Uh, she's an older woman who wants to cut all of her children out of her will because of various things that they've done. And something that she keeps saying in that conversation is, cut, cut, cut. I think about that all the time. Right? That, that so often feels like a, an immediate instinct. And yet God commands us to be patient. What is often the reason? When I think about my own impatience, what's often the reason? Now, not always, but many times. The reason why my tendency is to cut, 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 as opposed to slowing down and being patient, is often impatience is very much rooted in this feeling of entitlement that I might have toward something, about something. So often, my, my desire to cut, cut, cut is either implicitly or explicitly because I think in some ways that I'm better than the person that I'm being impatient with. That's inevitably how impatience begins to develop within us, that desire to cut, cut, cut. Not all the time, but many times. But there is something to the fact that God insists that we take this command seriously. Why? Look at verse 3. He tells us, or Paul tells us, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. What is that? Well, again, in the context, he's talking to the church. And so in some ways, I'm talking generally to our congregation, Redeemer East Harlem, long-suffering with one another is the pursuit of keeping unity in the spirit. The body of Christ is a collection of individuals brought together to now be a people in unity. First Peter tells us that we once were not a people and now we are a people as a result of what God has done in Christ. So there are few places where this kind of unity actually takes place. There are few places where such a diverse group of people come together under a single unified banner. And so as a result, we're called to come together under that transcendent banner of Christ to long suffer with one another because it really becomes this opportunity for the world to see, for all to see what can actually happen through this sustaining power of unity. And it does, it becomes attractive. 
to have this diversity of thought, diversity of people coming together despite the differences that they might, differences that they might have. Now, we're a young church, and as the pastor of this young church that is a very diverse congregation, I'll be straight with you people, I can already attest to the fact that for many to be here amongst this diversity, long-suffering and patience has been required. I mean, our congregation houses the full spectrum of racial and ethnic diversity, the full span of socioeconomic diversity, the full spectrum of political ideology, ranging from pretty far right to pretty far left. And as one who meets with people regularly across those spectrums, frankly, I think many may actually be surprised how incredibly diverse and different we are within this congregation. I mean, I would, I, would, I would say that if you think most of the people in the room kind of think and experience the world like you do, I'd encourage you to get to know some more people because it's really remarkable how incredibly diverse our congregation is. And I say all of that to say, with those who have different views and different perspectives, long suffering with one another, it's a command as Christians, we must listen and we must learn from one another. And to do so, we need to be patient. As Christians, we call one another uh, in, in ways that maybe we don't like being called out. Uh, you know, if we have blind spots or idolatry is confronted in our own lives, it's our call to sit and to listen and to be patient with one another as we learn. You know, we need to name the brokenness and we need, need to name the sins and name the differences. It's important to do all of those kinds of things. But I'll tell you what, I know that to do all of this is going to be work. It's hard, period. And honestly, there might come a time, I recognize, where some might find it just untenable to continue in that effort. I get it, but it doesn't mean that's not our initial reaction, our desire to strive for patience with one another. Now, the other thing that I want to say, just quickly on this point, is that I'm framing all of this, of course, this idea of patience in the context of the church. And I do this largely because that's what Paul's addressing, both to the Galatians and to the Ephesians. But don't miss the very interpersonal kind of patience that comes out of all of this. One that extends even beyond just issues that we have or may not have within the church. Meaning, patience, the same kind of patience extends to our families, extends to our friends, extends to our neighbors, all the different relationships that we have. We are called to be a people of patience. And I do wonder if we were to talk to or interact with the people that are around us most often, would this be an adjective that they would use for us? As Christians, people that know you well, do they say, yeah, that person is patient. I don't know for myself if that would be an immediate adjective that someone would, would give. Would that be an immediate reaction or adjective someone would use for you? Yeah, you know, the, the, I, how great would it be for someone to be able to say of us, yeah, we have differences of opinion, but that person's really patient when dealing with others. What a testament of the work of God in our lives, when that becomes how people experience us in all aspects of our life, not just within the church. Now, having said all of that, patience is a command. It just is. We are commanded to be this way. But I'll tell you what, 
Patience does not come simply because you will it to happen in your life. You might be able to get away with that for a little while, but I have found that pursuits of patience really quickly can break down because we get tired of people. We get passive or we get docile, never contributing anything meaningful because it seems easier to just capitulate, right? We don't want to be patient anymore. So we either bounce or we just stop trying. But seeing patience, seeing patience as solely a command will not sustain you in your pursuits of being patient. It's an important aspect. It won't sustain it. However, when we begin to see patience not as just a command, but also a gift, then patience is no longer an obligation. But get this, patience can be an opportunity for us to experience patience as a joyful act of worship. Let me explain to you what I mean. Patience is a gift, finally. Uh, Something we have discussed uh, as we've gone through the fruit of the Spirit really flows through the central element. Uh, All the fruit, rather, flow through that central element of the fruit, which was love, if you remember. Uh, We are able to experience joy and peace when we remember the love of God. Though joy and peace are elements of the fruit that we cultivate in our lives, uh, we're able uh, to do so because they are also this gift of love from God himself. I say that to say long-suffering and patience are the same. Long-suffering and patience come when we are able to understand that it's a gift of love from God himself. You know, that idea reminds me of Numbers 14 that tells us that the Lord is slow to anger, that he is long of nose, That he's abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. It makes me think of Exodus 34 that tells us the Lord God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, long of nose, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. As I've sat with that idea of the Lord being patient, it reminded me rather uh, convictingly of uh, Philippians 2, or sorry, of Romans 2 where Paul is addressing the hypocrisy with which his people often judge one another. And this is what he says in Romans 2. He says, so when a mere human being, I'm sorry, so when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Here's why that's convicted me so much. My inability to be patient with others shows contempt to the patient that God has given to me. God is incredibly patient with us, slow to anger with us, abounding in love with us. And in that patience, what is he doing? Well, he's leading us to repentance. His patience with us is drawing us closer to himself, not pushing us away, but bringing us in. And this long-suffering, this forbearing patience uh, that is extended to the Christian, and as it begins to develop within the Christian, now becomes a reflection of the very character of God, which is why when we're not patient, we're showing contempt for the patience of God. But when we are patient, we're reflecting the character of God. It's part of God's character to be slow to anger and quick with mercy. R.C. Sproul, who's a well-known Bible teacher, passed several years ago. He put it this way, 
And I've been sitting with, uh, with this statement. Let me read it for you. He says, part of the incomprehensibility of God in terms of my own relationship with him is this. I cannot fathom how a holy God has been able to put up with me, marring his creation to the degree I have for three score and five years. For me to live another day requires a continuation of God's gracious patience with my sin. The bare and simple question is this. How can he put up with me? The mystery is compounded when we add to the patience of God, not only for his patience with me, but with his patience with you and you and you and you. Multiplied exponentially throughout the whole world, it becomes even more difficult to fathom when we see a sinless being being more patient with sinless beings than patient beings are with one another. And who is the embodiment of that Uh, that sinlessness of that patience. Who is that sinless uh, being, being patient? Of course, it's Jesus Christ. I mean, this is how God proves the extent of his patience, that Jesus was so patient, that he was a long-suffering savior, that he was willing to lay down his life even for his enemies. I mean, the cross of Christ is the greatest example of patience. I mean, think about it. Jesus, the one who had all power and all authority, the one with authority to call down legions of angels to rescue him from the violence of the cross, did not do so, but patiently remained silent like a lamb to the slaughter, that he, the sinless one, remained on that cross as a long-suffering, patient Savior, sinless yet being treated like a criminal. And he does so in order that we might be led to repentance, that we might see the long-suffering and patience of God toward us. The patience of God, it's a gift. It's a gift of God flowing from the love of God for us. So Christian, hear me. God was patient with you, patient in ways that we cannot fully comprehend. God continues to be patient with you, The cross of Christ is God's patience with you. Our breathing another breath is God's patience with us. And when we remember the extent of that patience, aren't we then much more able to be patient with others? I mean, I said this earlier, but impatient people often think they deserve something or that they're better than others with whom they're they're impatient. But patient people know the extent to which They required patience, especially from God. So my challenge to all of us would be this. Right now, don't think about the impatient people in your life that you wish were here to hear the sermon. Think about the way that you yourself have been impatient. And to push it even further, maybe even the ways that you have shown contempt for the patience of God by being impatient yourself. I challenge all of us to sit with that and to think on, remember the patience of Christ on the cross, fully embodying the long-suffering of God. That becomes the way we begin to cultivate patience in our lives. And may that be 
ultimately an opportunity for all of us to show a world growing in impatience what it looks like to be patient. May the glory and character of God be on display through our lives. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you with gratitude for the ways that you have been patient. God, I think if we are truly honest with ourselves, we can name every way that you have been patient with us. God, I pray that you would help us to see what it required for you to be patient. Help us see Christ on the cross, our long-suffering Savior, taking upon himself that which he did not deserve for our sake. Doing the hard work for our sake. And Lord, we will never be able to express that kind of patience. For Christ and Christ alone is the perfect one. But God, would your spirit do a work in us that we grow in patience. That we would not show contempt for your patience by being impatient, but that we would reflect the character of who you are by being patient with one another as a church, patient with others in our lives. God, would you do it? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.